Okay. That was pretty good. That was pretty good. Yeah, no. Keep keep But then when he talked about quenching the desire, you know, he kind of screwed it up. Like, I, I like the fact that the love is lifting you higher and higher, but it doesn't quench your desire. And, and that's – he should recognize what he's doing, unless he's just yeah. trying to be more paradoxical well, I think, than even – Yeah, me. no, I think what he, mean, what he means – and this is uh, Jackie Wilson. I think what Jackie meant was <laughs> that it quenches your desire in the unquenchableness of it. it well, I, in, 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 fact, in fact, that's what Gregory know, says What he says um, – uh, well, how, how does he put it here? <laughs> <laughs> he says that God didn't like go back on his promise of uh, his promise did not prove false. Yeah. right. Oh, I, I love it because you'd think like, oh, this is great, but that means God said something false. And yeah, like, oh. no, but his promise did not prove false. Um, that that he would that he would see him right. Um, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. I, but but he does very specifically say, but he did not promise any cessation or or satiety of the desire. So so yeah. I think Jackie. I think I think Jackie's probably remembering when he read Gregory of Nyssa from like when he was a lot younger. Yeah, he so, he, he forgot the wording. He he should have reviewed it before he wrote the song. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and I love it. You keep it climbing higher and higher, step above. Oh yeah, man. But, that's we, just, but, but that's getting ahead of ourselves yeah, here. Yeah. No, I'm I mean, talking but, about Jackie. I mean, he's he's like oh, almost yeah. quoting him. <laughs> yeah, I know he is. He is almost <laughs> quoting him. There's always a step above. Um, Actually, I mean, maybe we just want to move right there, right? So, so, uh, well, let's. But before we before we start that, um, you have to start at the base of the mountain. Well, no, we already got past that, right? Mm. We did that last. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, but I think it's. A, I think, okay, we we got to talk about this. This blew my mind. Okay, this is on page ninety eight, um, right when we start the heavenly tabernacle here. When he says, um, he says, well, he basically says Christ is the heavenly tabernacle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But the way he explains it is what I've been – I feel like I've been moving towards this for years now. And and I just needed some real confirmation in someone that I really trust that what I say lots of times in class yeah. is actually true. <laughs> you always wonder. <laughs> but when I see St. Gregory of Nyssa, one of the three Cappadocian fathers, say this – then I feel better about myself, right? And this is this is paragraph one seventy four. Um, uh, I think it's wait, no, it's not paragraph one. Yeah, yes, it yeah, is. It is. It is. It is. The one where I wrote yes in the margin. Yes, I wrote <laughs> lots of stuff in the margin here. Okay, so let's just read it here. Taking a hint from what has been said by Paul, who partially uncovered the mystery of these things, we say that Mer- Moses was earlier instructed by a type in the mystery of the tabernacle, which is in- which encompasses the universe. All right, that's a great phrase right there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. This tabernacle would be Christ, who is the power and the wisdom of God, who in his own nature was not made with hands, yet capable of being made when it became necessary for this tabernacle to be erected among us. Thus, the same tag- tabernacle is, in a way, both unfashioned and fashioned, uncreated in preexistence, but created in having received this material composition. So so there's two things going on here, right? Christ is the heavenly tabernacle, not made with human hands. And yet he's also the earthly tabernacle because yep. he is made by human hands in the incarnation. But 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 I think even I, and I think that that's an amazing point that you could talk about a lot. But I, I think even more than that is that he encompasses the universe. So that if we talk about Jesus Christ, I mean this is to me, this is the destruction of all sort of reductive mechani- mechanistic instrumental understandings of Jesus Christ as the salvation yeah. of the world or something like that. Right. I think what's happening here is there's a recognition that Jesus Christ just, I mean, in a real sense, is reality, right? Um, and, and he says it, he says it again on, on, uh, at the, on the next paragraph near the bottom. It says um, that... Um, uh, this mystery of our faith, uh, that it might bring that which it ha- had left reality back again to reality. This is the only begotten God who encompasses everything in himself, but who also pitched his own tabernacle among us, which is exactly the, the, the language of John fourteen, John one fourteen. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Um, and, then, and then in uh, 177, uh, he goes on, um, not page, sorry, paragraph. Oh, yeah, paragraph, yeah. Um, uh, for the power mm-hmm. which encompasses the universe in which lives the fullness of divinity 
the common protector of all who encompasses everything within himself is rightly called tabernacle. Yeah. And, and this is, this is, he doesn't mention the in in you we live and move and have our being. I, he, I think uh, he did earlier, but not in this context. Yes, because when I read this, I was thinking uh, Augustine. I was thinking this mm-hmm. is just like Augustine. Um, uh, um, but I, I think that's that's a a beautiful image that you have the tabernacle of all of material reality, which itself. Um, is present within it. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, this mm-hmm. is this is an incredible paradox that mm-hmm. you have the tabernacle, have within it itself. Yeah, right? yeah. It's the, and and this is why, this is why Christianity just isn't a religion among religions. Mm-hmm. Right? You can't say that this is just our way of looking at the world, and we put our hope in this one dude, just like uh, you know the Buddhists put their hope in Buddha, not in the same way, right? But right, right. But, but whatever, right? Um, um, but really it this is really radical what i'm saying is everything that's true about anyone ever about any historical context of all time exists within jesus christ that he he is the universe I, and, and this is a uh, bay rule um mm. for those of you who were in rich's uh bay or his french, french. mysticism yeah. whatever, i forget what it was called french school french school yeah his french school class uh, where you guys read a lot of bay rule um I remember uh, Delubach quoting Beryl, mm-hmm. saying that Jesus Christ is a universe. Yeah. And, and, and I think what we really want to say is he's the universe, right? Um, and, and the un- so not in, a, not in a monistic, pantheistic way, right. but, but in some mysterious ontological way, that it's not just Jesus is the most important thing that ever existed, but Jesus is existence that became a particular. And, and that, this is... This is yeah. I mean, this is even more paradoxical <laughs> in yeah. some sense yeah. than God becoming man yeah. is that everything became a man, <laughs> Yeah. right? Even yeah. other men became this one man, yeah. right? But it, I think this also kind of goes to the anthropology of, of, of Nyssa, which um, in one sense gets expanded into an entire ontology. Right. So it's not just all of man that's one atom, but it's all of everything that's one yeah. atom. Yeah, and that, that I think corresponds to what we were – talking about last last podcast um that I, I was looking up i thought it was in ephesians um that it was part of the divine plan to bring all things like to him uh-huh. through him uh-huh. uh into into um uh perfection yeah uh so that you have you have all of reality being found in jesus christ so if that so then if you want to understand if you want to understand the cosmos, you turn to Christ. Uh-huh. Right? Uh-huh. This is, I mean, not, and not, and not not in the sense that it's 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 um, like in contrast. You want to understand this stuff, so you have to turn to something else. Right. No. Yeah. But it's not you 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 ignore this stuff and you then turn to Christ because right. it turns out um, there's still like perfect distinctness between the whatever it is the, the you know your grandmother that you're trying to understand right she's fully understood by knowing jesus christ mm-hmm. and so you mm-hmm. have this like really and not just because you forget her and now you're just worried about christ who is all things but you know all things become their own reality by knowing right christ and and because they, they they're the, but they're their own reality in this in this sort of perichoritic um, dancing within each other, abiding within each mm-hmm. other, reality. Um, I mean, in some sense, it seems like Plotinus on steroids. It, yeah. it's, it's like the, the the beauty of the thing itself is the seeing of 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 the one, but 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 really, it's there's 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 some sort of a deeper ontological identity of some kind happening here mm-hmm. um, in 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 a Christological understanding of all things. Yeah. Yeah. And I and I think this is uh, I mean if if you if you really want to read some other stuff about this um, David Schindler's um, introduction to De Lubach's Mystery of the Supernatural um. where he questions De Lubach in sort of making humanity unique in its openness to the divine instead of all things I think in some sense the encompassing of everything within Christ points to Schindler's point 
that everything is within him and everything is fulfilled in him. And, and man has a special sort of uh, priestly slash consuming in a non-bad way, yeah. right? But yeah. like eating all things yeah. in, a, in, a, in a Shmemanian way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, taking all things into himself that it might be ultimately brought to the, its fullness in Jesus Christ. Who takes yeah. all things into yeah. himself because they're already there, right? Yeah. It's always this already not yet or always already kind yeah. of reality, yeah. right? Yeah, man's kind of the shepherd of, of created being. Yeah, but he's shepherding him. In, he's shepherding it into his himself, who is the who is the sheepfold. Yeah, um, yeah. He's the who sheep. then himself moves into the true sheepfold, which yeah. is Jesus Christ. Yeah, right, man. So that so that there's actually no distinction. Then I mean, there's distinction, but there's there's no um, no separation separation. Yeah, between the the um, the flock and the shepherd. Right. The head and the body, right? Which is which is why, and he says this also in the earthly tabernacle when he identifies the earthly tabernacle as the church. This is on page one hundred one, uh, paragraph one eighty four, right at the beginning of that section. Uh, whenever the prophet looks at the tabernacle above, he sees the heavenly realities through these symbols. But if one should look at the tabernacle below, and here he says, since in many places the church is also called Christ by Paul, it would be well to regard the name apostles, teachers, blah 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 blah. But but that parenthetical notion there of the church being called Christ um, uh, Pius XII's uh, encyclical on the mystical body of Christ, Mystery Corpus Christi um, makes this point as well where he says that the, that the church uh, or Christians, I think he's talking about the church actually, the church is called another Christ um, and sometimes just simply Christ yeah. So, and I think the reason that you can call it another Christ and also Christ or even the bride of Christ or, you know, people ask me this all the time. Um, how can the church be the bride of Christ and the body of Christ, right? How can, that doesn't make any sense. And I always say it makes sense because what you're trying to do is make, is, is somehow F the ineffable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're trying to F the ineffable. <laughs> that sounds great. <laughs> But you're trying to express the mystery of Trinitarian perichoritic indwelling um, and whatever it means that there's one God and there are three persons. Um, you're trying to express that um, because because we're being taken up into that, into the same yeah. – I mean into the same reality, right? I mean that's, that's really what that's, – I think that's what divinization is all about. <laughs> no comment, Jacob. No, I know. I mean, it's, there's too much to comment. <laughs> yeah, which, which is, you know, and, and uh, I, I kind of think it goes along the lines of, of of his own sort of negative theology. That when we try to express things, we're always going to talk in contraries, and we're going to affirm both because that's what a paradox is. But it's not saying that contraries are true. It's just saying that neither of these actually applies to the reality. Because yeah. nothing applies to the reality that yeah. I can image. Well, it applies in some sense, maybe. But yeah, yeah. It, but it doesn't. Yeah. It yeah. doesn't. Uh, it's always more than that. Circumscribe. Yeah, it's always more than that. Delineate. It's uh, more unlike it than it's like it. Yeah, in, right. in the great phrase of Lateran Four, right? Um, and th- so th- this this also made me think that really puzzling passage. I think it's in Paul that we're making up for the suffering, mm-hmm. but the, the suffering is lacking in Christ. Yep. Yep. Uh, um, Colossians. Colossians, where you, and I think you have, you have a way to understand that, in light of this, because um, when you realize that the 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 church isn't exactly a separate reality from Christ, that the the sufferings lacking in Christ are, it's not like oh we're we're then like bringing we're we're sharing in. A suffering that's not Christ suffering, right? But but rather this is this is a a, a, a temporal extension of the uh, the crucifixion, yeah. temporal extension of the agony in the garden, right? This is the temporal extension of the life of Christ, so that it's a lacking only to the extent that Christ hasn't lived out the suffering of the Communist Party. Or, or how about this? Maybe he has, and it happened um, in the Triduum. And that if we think 
that all of creation, all if, if, if Christ is, in a sense, all of creation, and he's assumed, subsumed into this one particular, mm-hmm. then why could we not also say that this is just another mode of the living out of the suffering that Christ himself suffered, right? Because in a, in a sense, his suffering is, uh, I, I want to think of it as like, gosh, we are so technological, as, as the zipped, <laughs> the zipped yes. suffering of yeah. the world, right? The compressed file. Yeah, yeah, in, in a sense. I mean, uh, Oliver Crisp would, would love yeah. to hear this, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, uh, but, but he, he, what he has done is everything. And so what we are living has already, yeah. in some sense, been lived in him, in the mystery of his particular life. Um, so that, you know, I, 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 this is, I'm, I'm coming up with this right now, so, yeah, yeah. but it, but it's making sense to me instead of thinking that like Christ has this really, really long life, which I, we normally think, right? He died, he rose, he ascended. And at least this is how I normally think yeah, of it. Not yeah. everybody. Normally think. Yeah. And, and he's living the life of the church now, right. but, but, but that I would sort of, sort of, I, that I would take like my suffering, um, today when I had to wake up when my alarm went off. Um, as somehow Christ suffering more after his like right. crucifixion, but now I'm starting to wonder if we think of it in this in this sort of uh, Christological way that, that that we understand the encompassment of everything, himself becomes a particular. Then I would I would want to say something like me waking up in my alarm today is in some way oh is is there is like I don't know. Um, one of the drops of blood from his from yeah. his agony in the garden, right? And, and I don't want to sound like over pietistic here. I'm, mm-hmm. it, it, it's only over pietistic if we're not talking ontologically. I think, mm-hmm. but I'm saying metaphysically, it's identical with with that, yeah. right? And, and it, so one way to think of it is not not simply that you have Christ's life expanding out temporally, but rather you have temporality being yeah. subsumed what's what would be the word being, yeah being um um the opposite of expansion contracted into yeah. um into into christ's life so that um really history we tend to think of history as moving out but maybe actually history is moving in yeah or or that it or that history is um this is a really weird image but I, I, I saw a movie once when I was a little kid. <laughs> and I don't I, st- I don't even remember what the movie was. Um, perhaps it was I. This is a guess. Perhaps it was the Don Knotts movie. You know the Don. Oh, I know. I know all the Don Knotts movies. The Don Knotts movie where he becomes a fish in World War Two. Oh yeah. <laughs> What's yeah. that called? Um, What's that called? Uh, Whatever it is. I anyway. forget. Yeah. Anyway, uh, I know what you're talking about. I don't. It might be that movie because I remember yeah. it was a cartoon. But and I remember it was underwater. So this is the only reason uh-huh, I'm thinking this. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And I remember it was old, like fifties. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> but there was this there was this can, this can of like seafood. And then there was a there was a picture on the label of the can of a fish holding a can of seafood. The same can. And on that can was a picture of a fish yeah, yeah. holding a can yeah. of seafood. Uh-huh. And there was this like movement that happened with, yeah. with the movie where it like went into yeah. into the, the picture and into the next picture uh-huh. and it was like this this like diving in uh-huh. and so i wonder if like um what we're living now <laughs> i don't know if this helps at all this analogy <laughs> but i wonder if what we're living now just is that thing there that that smaller can that yeah. has already been lived out within uh, yeah. in some sense it's within 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 um another can a bigger can right yeah. within the the, the the world yeah but at the same time it just is the world so you have right? like history you can talk about history on on different levels yeah. Right. Um, or or history or narrative or story on different levels, and and this is playing on this all over the place, um, or playing with this all over the place in in his works that you have the the narrative of salvation history played out in the narrative of an individual life, which right. is really the narrative right. of Christ Himself. Right. Right. Um, and so right. I think I think just the idea of a story being itself part of a story. A broader story, right? But itself communicating this the whole, other the whole story yeah. in some sense, yeah. yeah, yeah. Except that 
that the unique thing about Christ is that his living of the story wasn't just a communication of the story, but it just is it, right? Yeah. And I wonder if, maybe this is really radical, but I wonder if, I mean, we've already jumped that shift, right? <laughs> <laughs> what's, what's, what's radical? What's radical at this point? <laughs> but I wonder if, now I think, I actually think this is completely true right now. <laughs> maybe I'll decide differently in a week. But I wonder if looking at Christ's life and seeing what happened to him, I can, I can actually say, this is the world. And I can say, I have confidence that at the end of the world, it will not be the end. Because I already saw the end of the world. Yeah. It was called Good Friday. Yeah. And right. guess what happened after that? Yeah. Life. Real life, yeah. and, and, and what yeah. Ratzinger points out, and actually a, a footnote in here pointed it out. Oh, I was so glad for all you uh, Ratzinger fans out there, especially my interest in this. Footnote 145 on page 172. Um, I don't even remember where this corresponds to in, in the text itself. But he says, in this passage, bios is earthly life, and zoe is spiritual life, yeah. a common distinction, but not consistently observed in Gregory. This is a big point that Ratzinger makes as an introduction to Christianity. He says, bios is transcended into zoe. And so what I want to say about sort of the, the world and the eschaton, and, 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 and it's interesting now that I think about the word eschatology, especially as Schmemann uses it, it seems to be saying maybe something along these lines, although I'm not sure if he would have put it in this language. But, but if I look at Christ and I see the end of the world happening at the crucifixion and then I see the resurrection, it's not just that there will be life after that, but that there will be zoe, yeah. not bios, yeah. right? Because bios is just the unglorified life. And, and in a sense, it's, it's a, like to use Clark's language, it's a limited participation in what life is. Yeah. But yeah. zoe is this expansion of life into, um, into a transcending of itself a, a, a theosis, a, div, a divinization mm -hmm. that takes place. So that um, not only do I have, not only can I look at Christ and say, oh, I have hope that the end really isn't the end, but I can say, I have hope that actually Zoe will be the ultimate. Right. right? But, but what does Zoe look like is a difficult right. thing to... Right, which, which of course comes about, it comes into play in the apparitions of Christ, yep. not even recognizing him, mm -hmm. but also his like having this mastery over, yeah. over his, his, his own existence and creation in some, in some weird way. Um, but I think, you know, if it's, if it's really true that he can, he is the, he is, he contains the entire universe in himself. And if I really, really am serious and don't reify the human nature of Christ, but say, no, that's just him. Yeah. Then I have to say that just is the universe in a real sense. Yeah. And that, that is how the universe – that is – I've already seen the history of the universe play out, and we are the expansion of that. Right. Yeah. So rather than thinking of the life of Christ as an event in history, it is all of history. It's the event of history. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and history is a um, a retelling – of that uh, that life, a retelling of that history. Yeah, and, 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 and you could even flip that and say, maybe history isn't a retelling of that history, but maybe what happened there was the telling of history, and what's happening here is actually, in a sense, within that, right? Uh, um, yeah. Instead of like, instead of thinking as the hit as, as history uh, as our life as being the bigger thing yeah. maybe we're actually the the smaller the smaller can of 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 of, of food yeah. of tuna <laughs> that's the, the label the label in the label yeah the label in the label that we are actually like we think what we're doing is living in a sense our 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 reality and that Christ was sort of this 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 mi microcosm of reality but maybe we're actually the microcosm of Christ's life yeah which is <laughs> which is radical to think about, but um, I I don't I, I've been obsessed with this idea of Christ and and being the logos and the logos being 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 in a sense the encompassment of the universe, just what it yeah. is, because yeah. it seems like that's what the ancients understood that word to mean, whereas yeah. we don't, right? We, we 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 sort of concentrate on 
on other aspects of it, the reason reasonability yes. uh, yeah. or being reason itself, uh -huh. as if uh -huh. that's a thing. Maybe that's a reification. Yes. Yeah. Or even even communication coming from another to another, right? Um, which is which is really important too. Um, mm. But I but I wonder if we need to get more radical than this and just say it's the encompassment of the entire universe right there. Yeah. So. No, Wild. <laughs> Wild. I didn't know that was all coming, yeah, but here it is, stuff. right? I, I definitely wanted to talk about that. Like a thief in the night. <laughs> like lightning. Like lightning. Uh, gosh, we could talk about so much more here. Um, but uh, I really, I, I mean, I, I think more than anything we need to get to, unless there's Just, something in the middle you want yeah, to get to, because I want to go straight to okay, eternal we can, progress. We can, head, we can head to eternal progress here in a bit, but this is, this is on our way. This is on okay. our way. Uh, okay. This is the earthly tabernacle, uh, bottom of page 102, paragraph 188. Okay. Actually, right before that, I, I like how it brings up the life of virginity. Um, as a way of of purifying um, the the flesh, uh -huh. uh, um, specifically sort of referring back to uh, his work on virginity, I, I think is sort of the preparation, the preparing, the building of the earthly tabernacle. Mm -hmm. um, and that in that you can't receive sort of the gift of the heavenly tabernacle if if you if you haven't died to sin, right? Yeah. Which yeah. happens in mortification, and, and that, as he specifically says, mortif that the mortification two, is an ascetic way of life. And the two tabernacles seem to be uh, um, similar to each other, yeah, in, in ways, in in, in in some sense identical. I yeah, think, right? yeah, yeah. So, but then one eighty eight, if the interior, which is called the holy of holies, is not accessible to the multitude, let us not think that this is at variance with the sequence of what has been perceived, for the truth of reality is truly a holy thing, a holy of holies, and is incomprehensible and inaccessible to the multitude, since it is set in the secret and ineffable areas of the tabernacle of mystery. The apprehension of the realities above comprehension should, uh, should not be meddled with. One should rather believe that what is sought does exist, not that it lies visible to all, but that it remains in the secret and ineffable areas of the intelligence. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think this is this is you can tell he's he's he, he can't resist himself to, to this that later section of the eternal progress. Yeah. Um, but I love that that he 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 does talk about the um, the, the the multitude should not meddle. Yeah. In in, in certain things. Yeah. Uh, that are beyond comprehension. Because they're going to be, they're going to be, um, it's going to be too tempting to build an idol. Right. Right. It's, right. And that goes back to what we were talking about last time. Exactly. Right? It's yeah. too tempting. When Moses goes up the mountain, <coughs> you kind of, it's going to be too tempting to follow him, but at the foot of the mountain, right? You're going to, you're going to be like wanting to do what Moses is doing up on top of the mountain down here at the, at the base. Yeah. And, and I, with I, all the irrational animals. With all the irrational animals. <laughs> yeah. right? And so you're going to be mo making, an image of, ah. of what you're, what, what's present to you. Yeah, the, the golden cap. The irrational animal. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah, you're going to be yeah. you're going to be taking as that which you worship, that which you know, and that's going to be the the, the and so so so. This is this is, oh man, I think Gregory would be just oh, yeah. token on he, this. He'd be, he, this would be like a feast of milk and honey. <laughs> yeah. But but I think I think that that idea, the idea of, um, of recognizing with humility it's a better way to worship God in saying I'm not going because I know myself and I'm quote one of the multitude I'm not going to like try to comprehend him uh -huh. in the way that Moses did because you run the risk of of making an idol and I think I think what, what he seems to be suggesting is be believe as he says at the end of what i just quoted believe that what is sought does exist not that it lies visible to all but that it remains in secret and ineffable areas of the intelligence and i think i think that humility is is just just utterly necessary for a right. spiritual life and therefore at at um at the various degrees of of uh personal development personal formation yeah so that you shouldn't try to think that you can explain the trinity to 
um, well, anyone, but especially <laughs> yeah. especially to you know twelve year olds or college students or right. And right. So, so there's right. this recognition that perhaps the way that you should understand this ineffable reality is not by really mo- trying to move into the darkness to see it, because maybe you're just you're just not capable of. Um, and this could maybe not be through any fault of your own, but right. you're just not capable right. of of seeing in the darkness, wh- whatever that means. Right, right. right. But maybe – we could maybe even say that once you admit that, you already find yourself surrounded by the cloud in some yeah. sense. Yeah. Because what are you saying? I can't know God. I can't know God like Moses yeah. knows God. And then all of a yeah. sudden, what is it? It's in your not knowing that you know, right? Yeah. It's in your not yeah. seeing that you see. Yeah. Now, you still and, have to do and, yeah. all the stuff, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, and, and, and it, it talks about, right? It's only on this path, going back to page 92, right? It's only on this path of the person who's done all the things that Moses has done that he can it, he it is who then advances to contemplation of the transcendent nature. Right. So you have to be purified, right, in the life right. of, a, of, a, of a thesis. But, but, but that... But that, that, that recognition, I'm one of the multitude, I should not do what Moses does, is already making you not one of the multitude. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. Um, Because you're saying, I'm not going to meddle with that stuff, right? Yeah. Um, and, yeah. and I wonder if that's, – that's like, that's, like that's like John of the Cross taking the life of Moses and like putting it on steroids. Yeah. And, and because he's basically saying the, the, the way up the mountain is to say – I can't ascend. Right, right. Because the, because the rungs of the ladder in the picture that he drew are the word nada. nada. <laughs> right? So, I mean, that that says – Because it does – I mean, it, it, I think there's a little more he could have done here. Uh-huh. Uh, I mean, I'm not like critiquing. <laughs> I mean, sure, we can. Yeah, yeah, we yeah. Can. But, but uh, I mean, I'm not saying he did he did a poor job, but I think more more – more could have been developed. Yeah, um, on this on this particular idea of the multitude and mm-hmm. yeah, and yeah. the humility of not not trying to pursue that which you know you can't understand adi- quote unquote adequately whatever whatever that means right. for knowing an ineffable right history. right because knowledge there means something else right, right than right. you normally use it as right. Um, now okay. we we could get way into the, the priestly vestments which mm-hmm. there's some interesting stuff there. I also think there's interesting stuff Let's on the tables of stone, mm-hmm. um, especially on the two different tables of stone, right? Yeah. Um, one, one point that I do want to make before we move forward is 108, 205, paragraph 205, um, where his, his, his anthropology of the oneness of man is, is, is um, imaged in the oneness of Israel, right? So there's this really sort of difficult passage in, in, in Exodus, and if you've never read it, I really recommend reading it. Uh, Moses comes down from the mountain, sees uh, – here's the oh, drunken yeah. singing, right? Yeah. <laughs> and then, um, you know, we hear about the golden calf and Moses throwing the tablets down, but then we kind of forget what happened. And I don't know if – I don't, I don't remember if it's Charlton Heston's fault that we, do, we don't do, know anything else because I don't remember what happens in that movie. But it might be – that it's it's his fault because what happens then is very intriguing, um, and 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 there's a lot of commentary on this in the fathers I know, and I think it needs to be brought up more. Uh, two big things that I want to point out. The first is, and he points this out: um, what does Moses do with the golden calf? He grinds it into gold dust, pours it or or, or, or dissolves it, not dissolves it, but puts it in the water, and then makes the Israelites drink it, right? Which is which? He has some commentary on how uh, sometimes you, you can see this in a bad way and say you are taking uh, demonic communion here, mm-hmm. right? In some yeah. sense, yeah. right? But he sees this in a good way, and he actually sees it as um, the error. This is page one hundred seven. The error of idolatry utterly disappeared from our life, being swallowed by pious mouths, which through good confession bring about the destruction of material godlessness, mm-hmm. of the material of godlessness. Um, and the, the, the footnote says something like um, he's talking about the fourth century after uh, Constantine um, makes Christianity the religion of the empire. Um, all of a sudden, all these people become Christian, um, which, of course, causes monkeys with masks, but at the same time starts to destroy idols. Right. And, yep. and he sees this as very good. Um, and so I think that the, the, the drinking of the gold dust of the golden calf is really an, 
an interesting episode that we need to think about more. But the other episode, and the, and the one that I was thinking about more about this anthropology, is is the Levitical, the Levitical killing mm-hmm. of. I mean, they just go around and they, they just, just slaughter, slaughtering. slaughter of their own people. Right, the, the Levites, they come and he says, "Get your swords and go kill people." And does he say whether brother, friend? Yeah. Like yeah, he says he he, he says yeah. How does it? Where does he put it? Right. Uh, there's no distinction. Death came to everyone they met without yeah. preference. One oh seven at the bottom. No distinction was made between enemy and friend, stranger and neighbor, kinsman and foreigner. Um, And his explanation of this is very interesting, though. He says, 205, this account provides the following useful lesson. Because the Israelites in a body agreed to the evil, and because the whole camp to a man participated in it, they were all without distinction scourged. It is like someone punishing a person caught in that evil act by whipping him. Whatever part of the body he may hit, he tears to shreds with scourge with the scourge, knowing that the pain inflicted on that part extends throughout the whole body. The same thing happens when the whole body united in evil is punished. The scourging inflicted on the part chastens the whole. And so the next paragraph at the bottom, while not all are struck, the blows upon some chastise all and turn them from evil. So this sort of like, again, this anthropology of the oneness of Israel here, which is is a sign of the oneness of humanity, the one Adam. Um, that um, if you look around the world and you, it's it's kind of this is kind of an answer to the problem of evil in some sense, right. or at least at least hinting at that. If you look around the world and you say, "Why did that person die and not me?" Gregory wants to say something along the lines of, "Yeah, I know we all deserve death, yeah. <laughs> right? Um, <laughs> isn't it merciful?" And he says something about God's mercy in the midst of this. God is so merciful, or maybe I'm thinking of Augustine. God is so <laughs> merciful in that. Uh, he, I am thinking of Augustine. In his confessions, he talks about all of his loser friends who are still kind of lo- who are still losers after a long time. When he started like changing, he's like, "Why did I change? Because you're merciful to me, God. Right? I deserve to be a loser too. Um, and really, everybody deserves this this infliction of punishment. But because of the unity, God inflicts it on some. Because we're all united with each other, that still chastises and and um, and brings about um, a, a change of heart." of those who, who are living, which is fascinating way to look at this, right? I don't know if you had any comments on that, but... No, I, at the bottom of that page, one, uh, 108, paragraph 208, uh, uh, I like the, uh, it is possible, or for not everyone is named brother or friend or neighbor in mm-hmm. a good sense by scripture. It is possible for one to be both brother and foreigner, both friend and enemy, both neighbor and opponent. These we perceive as are in, in numerous thoughts, whose life brings about our death and whose death brings about our life. I, I think there's this idea of um, the, 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 are you, a, are you a neighbor or are you a foreigner? Uh-huh. Um, are you a friend or are you an enemy? And I think he, he seems to be making this really paradoxical move to say um, you, you can be, um, someone can be both. Yeah. Right? So, so I, I think he's actually saying we're all both. Yeah. Yeah. And and that that is maybe what what allows for um, the, uh, the, the 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 as you mentioned like the response to the problem of evil, um, mm-hmm. you know, much more um, salient that that you recognize, uh, um, you know, sort of the the. The interconnectedness between your life and the other, mm-hmm. because maybe it turns out that I myself am also a foreigner. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> I in myself fact, am also an enemy. Yeah. Right? In fact, he's. I think he when he talks about the innermost thoughts, he's saying, just look at your innermost thoughts. If the, if if your innermost thoughts live, they bring about our death. Right. He he's talking about like our own evil tendencies yeah. right? and our own evil actions or our own evil uh, interior actions. If if if, if we can even make that distinction. Whose life brings about our death, and whose death brings about our life, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I, when I read this, I thought to myself, Solzhenitsyn, and call your office. I, 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 I think this idea that the, oh, that yeah. the, the divide between the good and evil between, yeah. goes be into every goes through every human That's, heart yeah. is right there, right? It's right there. So, yeah. mm-hmm. okay, but we should really it's get to eternal, eternal progress. Eternal progress. Or we're not going to get. We're not going to get anywhere. We're not going to get to the end, right? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, my goodness. Um, okay. 
so much here. So much here. Um, for those of you who have taken my spiritual theology or who are hoping to sign up for it in the fall, um, you will recognize themes here of the backside of God. And, and, and maybe for uh, the picture on yeah. this one. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll do something special. We'll do, we'll do something well, special. Well, you're already seeing it. You're already seeing it. So. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> Is what is time to a turkey? Yeah, that's right. what, is, what is now? What is now to the past? Yeah. So look, look at the uh, the picture on the podcast. Um, that is Michelangelo, um, and his portrayal of Moses's sight um, being the backside of God, right? Which is actually um, last time I was at the Sistine Chapel um, before before it was crawling with coronavirus no, no, no. <laughs> uh, was. Uh, you know, uh, about a year ago, actually, uh, maybe a little, a little more than a year ago. Um, and I remember because I had just taught my spiritual theology class and we'd read stuff like that. Oh, no, no, I hadn't actually. Um, but I had thought about that, that image before. Uh, and, and I, and I looked at, uh, you know, everybody's looking at Adam, uh, touching God and the creation scene, uh-huh, right? Uh-huh, the very, uh-huh. very, 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 very famous one, which is also beautiful yeah. and has some very interesting things about Adam and Eve and 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 and, and nuptiality and uh, Cre- creating Adam with Eve in in, in the back pocket. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and this idea of of, of being as being communion, yeah. right? all yeah. that stuff yeah. is there. So I I, I don't want to denigrate that at all. But I remember being obsessed with the the backside of God picture, yeah, yeah. Um, and this is I think he captures. I think Michelangelo captures beautifully what Nis is trying to say here, right? Um, because God is, as you can see in that picture, he's moving, right? Yeah. He, he, he's on the move. He's going somewhere, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and the only way that you're going to be united to him is run after that rear that you see in front of you, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and he specifically says, and this is, this is quoted by Rowan Williams in the book that we'll read in, in, in Spiritual Theology, right? He specifically says um, that it is... It is only the one that sees the back of the, the the leader that is following him. This is page 119. I mean, there's so much in here. It's just going to – it's sobbing, right? But he says um, – he talks about – okay, so Moses sees the back of God, right? And he first brings out that this is this is what following is on at the top of page 119 when he quotes uh, – darn it, stupid end notes. I don't know. He quotes something that says, follow Yahweh your God. Right, as the law commands. Right? So, so um, he says, seeing God's back is actually um, the sequela Yahweh, right? the following of God, of, of, of Yahweh. Um, but he goes deeper into this in, in 251 because, of course, he's going to identify Jesus Christ with the God of the Old Testament. Right? So uh, when the Lord spoke to Moses, uh, this is 251. But when the Lord who spoke to Moses came to fulfill his own law, he likewise gave a clear explanation to his disciples laying bare the meaning of what he had previously been said in figure when he said, if anyone wants to be a follower of mine, and not if anyone will go before me. He doesn't say that. And to the one asking about eternal life, he proposes the same thing, for he says, come, follow me. Now, he who follows sees the back. So the next sentence, I think, is, 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 is one of the best sentences in this whole section, maybe in this whole text. Uh, so Moses, who eagerly seeks to behold God, is now taught how he can behold him. To follow God wherever he might lead is to behold him. That to to and and this is getting into what we were just talking about in, in your Clark class, yeah. right? That that love and knowledge are not distinct, or I don't know, I don't know if I want to say distinct, but not separate, separate. realities, yeah. right? They're not separate realities. To follow God is to love God is to know God, right? To follow God is to behold God. Right? Um, he says, his passing by signifies his guiding the one who follows. For someone who does not know the way cannot complete his journey safely in any other way than by following behind his guide. He who leads, then, by his guidance, shows the way to the one following. He who follows will not turn aside from the right way if he always keeps the back of his leader in view. So this is, and of course, this is getting right into the heart of the perpetual change, right? Um, because what is it that you're doing? You're going further and further into God. And if you're always moving into him or moving behind him, right, 
you won't see him face to face. In fact, to see him face to face is evil. He says yep. this specifically yep. at the end of this section. I mean, this it, he really left you with with a I know. with a grand slam at the end, this was, right? This was the humdinger. Yeah, this was this was the half court shot when the when the buzzer's going off, oh, yeah. right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> he says. Um, <laughs> He says, anyone who sees God face-to-face dies. He's not saying – like, we always think of it in sort of an Indiana Jones kind of yeah. way, right? They're and skin if, melts. Yeah, they're <laughs> skin melts, right? Especially the Nazis. <laughs> Especially if you're a Nazi. <laughs> so it's a 119 at the bottom, right? He who moves to one side or brings himself to face his guide assumes another direction for himself than the one than the one his guide shows him, right? If your guide is going this way and you face your guide, you're actually facing the other way, Right. And so uh, this is why he says, my face is not to be seen, right? Um, If he does so, his course will certainly be in the opposite direction. For good does not look good in the face, but follows it. And what looks virtue in the face then, he says? It's evil, right? So if you're looking at the face of God, guess what you're doing? You are opposing him, right? You are the adversary. If you're looking at the backside of God... And, and you are following. And the reason I think the reason that is is because when you when you look at God in the face, what what that what that presupposes is it presupposes that you are seeing, and 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 so to see to see a face mm-hmm. is to is to take yourself to to know, mm-hmm. right? I, I think this is this is what's going on. To see to know God face to face means there's there's no. There's no uh, uh, no mystery, mystery left, yeah. right? It's just yeah. it's just completely com- comprehended. And those that take themselves to do that or want to do that, um, you're you're treating God therefore as something that He's not, right? Right. Uh, I think one way to think of this is to correctly. Uh, I, and so the, the, the eternal. I mean, there a lot that's going on that's really really mystical in this. Yeah. Um, the, the eternal progress section begins. Um, how does someone who scripture says saw God clearly in such divine appearances face to face as a man speaks with his friend? So you, you, so in some ways you have, you have Moses described as in some sense, seeing God face to face, but then at the same time, at the end, he who sees God face to face shall not live. Right. The way, the way that I was thinking about this is here's how Moses saw God face to face. He saw his backside. Right. He he saw him as a follower, which is to correctly see God. That's to correctly know God as face to face, if you will. Right. Right. The person who says no, the backside of God isn't good enough. I want to know God as He really is. Right. Um, that's the person who who's approaching God pridefully, and therefore you take yourself to to, to be capable of. Maybe with a little more hard work and more online education, <laughs> capable of, definitely not that of, of knowing God, right? And so, so, so you 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 take yourself to be possi- possibly above God, right? So that you can, you can make sense of him. I can make sense of him. Yeah, I can, can grasp him. I can grasp him. I can I can I can come to know him and explain him, and then give this knowledge to other people. Yeah, it takes yourself to be kind of this this master of. The subject matter, and and I think that would be someone who says, the reason you can't see God face to face and live is because to see something face to face is to not be looking at God, and therefore mm-hmm. you're not looking at life itself, right? And right. therefore you're dead. Yeah, yeah. So what you're doing is you're not following God, who is life. You're abandoning you're not seeing him. God, yeah. who is life. You're turning to the darkness, which is not the darkness of a bright light, right? Just. The void. Just the flat-out darkness, the right? Void. Yeah, I mean, he says he says uh, somewhere in here um, where he talks about what does it mean that to see God's face you can't live. This is this is one fifteen, uh, paragraph two thirty four. Scripture does not indicate that this causes the death of those who look. For how would the face of life ever be the cause of death to those who approach it? Yeah. On the contrary, the divine is by its nature life giving. Yet the characteristic of the divine nature is to transcend all characteristics. <laughs> this is it right here. Therefore, he who thinks God is something to be known does not have life because he has turned from true being to what he considers by sense perception to have being. Right? And so what does it mean that you, can't, that you can't see God and live is that if you claim to see God, you aren't living. 
that the only way to see God is to say, I don't see him, right? You see by not seeing, right? Mm-hmm. I don't see his face. I only see his backside. That yeah. is him, yeah. right? Yeah. That is and, him. And I remember, I remember reading this section a couple, like maybe a year and a half, two years ago or so, and really liking really? it. Yeah. Why? Um, just this section. It, it was for um, something I was wanting to write, but I, ended up, I wrote a bunch and then I ended up finishing it. Okay. But and I read, I read some Dropbox somewhere. Yeah, it's on Dropbox. <laughs> and then I read some church fathers um, commenting on Genesis, um, the, the fall, the where man, Adam and Eve, um, ha- took knowledge, took from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, they described that uh, passage as Adam and Eve coming to take themselves to be prior to a knowledge of the good. Mm-hmm. So, so they takes themselves to be capable of, of grasping mm-hmm. and, and like, you know, being the master of the good, which would be God. And so they, they therefore have to stand outside of being, they have to stand outside of the garden to do this because they can't, they can't be, um, say from within and mm-hmm. know good and evil. Mm-hmm. You have to, to, to take yourself to be a grasper of good and evil takes yourself to be like above it or beyond it mm-hmm. um and so that's why it it, it it's it brought about death yeah it yeah, brought yeah. about death and a separation from from the good uh-huh. wow um, it, it's but it's interesting how you know this this idea of following um corresponds with his his perpetual progress right so if you're always following god and he's on the move like michelangelo shows right then um i like how he puts it here um moses so um, this is 113 here. Um, the good is always attractive, right? And this is, this is why, by the way, why we started the, the, the podcast with this song, right? Yeah. Uh, if nothing comes from above to hinder, it's upward thrust. For the nature of the good attracts to itself those who look to it. The soul rises ever higher and will always make its flight yet higher by its desire of heavenly things, straining ahead for what is still to come, right? There's Philippians um, 313. Made to desire not to abandon the transcendent height by the things already attained, it makes its way upward without ceasing, ever through its prior accomplishments, renewing its its intensity for the flight. So once you discover more, it's not that you say, finally I can rest. Yeah, or or, or now the pursuit decreases as as your – Right. I'm almost there, right? Yeah. I've only got I've I, I've now my ticker has gone up to ninety five percent, and I only have five percent left. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's not that, right? It's it's the opposite. It's you realize first of all, you realize more and more. Whoa, there's way more than I ever thought, and second of all, you are you you desire more and yeah. more to go there. Yeah, the right? intensity, increases. the intensity, and the increase. I mean, this happens with just understanding anything. Hopefully, right. <laughs> right? Exactly, right? I mean, think about how how interested was I to read. Oh, I don't know. Uh, Love in the Postmodern Predicament by David Schindler uh, before when I was, you know, 20. 20. I was like, yeah. I'll read it if they make me. Yeah. And now I'm like reading it for the, for fun. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> or maybe maybe uh, how interested were some of you to read Gregory of Nyssa? Maybe at the beginning of the class, yeah, somewhat interested. But hopefully as time went on, you found yourself more and more interested. Maybe not, but maybe more and more interested. <laughs> hopefully. 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 Um, uh, with him, I mean that's yeah. just that's just the nature of, of knowledge, right? Right, because it's the nature of being, right? And, and you're entering into yeah. it. But, but he keeps going here, right? So uh, that next sentence: activity directed toward virtue causes its capacity to grow through exertion. So your capacity grows as you move forward. Mm-hmm. This kind of activity alone does not slacken its intensity by the effort, but increases it, right? And so at no time should you stop the ascent or set a limit to it. And I love how he talks about Moses here right at the top of 114. He continually climbed to the step above, never ceased to rise higher because he always found a step higher than the one he had attained, right? That's beautiful. I I love that. It's like, okay, like you get up to the top of the landing. I'm there. And then you look over to the side. Oh, shoot, it keeps going. But it's not an, oh, shoot, it keeps going, right? It's an, yeah. oh, yes, it yeah. keeps going. This is yeah. so amazing, yeah. right? Yeah. There's something beautiful about it. Right? It's, it's kind of like if, when you're climbing a mountain and you're only – and if you've never climbed a mountain, you should. And you're, <laughs> and, you're, and you're not doing it simply to get to the top but because you like like this, the, like the scenery of being high up. Each step you take, you can say, "Oh, this is better." Yeah. You're like, "Oh wait, this is, there's a better there's a better view up here. Let's go yeah. up one more step." Yeah. And you're like, "Oh, but wait, there's even a higher one. There's a better one up here." And you yeah. kind of keep pushing yourself up. Yeah. 
um, not because you're trying to bring this to an end, but because you find each step is itself better than the last. Right, and and that's why he says in two thirty on the same page, right? Um, Although lifted up through such lofty experiences, he is still unsatisfied in his desire for more. He yeah. still thirsts. He has to yeah. attain yeah. as if he had never partaken, not according to the capacity his capacity to partake, but according to God's true being. Now, this is a bold move, right? He, and, and and he says he uses the word boldly in some place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's 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 at the bottom of that page, right? And the bold request which goes up the mountain of desire asks this: to enjoy beauty, not in mirrors, in reflections, but face to face. The divine voice granted what was requested in what was denied. (laughs) I love this, right? Showing in a few words an immeasurable depth of thought. The munificence of God assented to the fulfillment of his desire to see God face to face, but did not promise any cessation or or satiety of this desire. Right? So um, the one who looks up to God never ceases in his desire. Never ceases because there's always more. There's always more. They're always further and deeper to go. And I think... Can I? Can we go back to two thirty one paragraph two thirty one? Oh yeah, no, I was going to go back to okay, that. Go okay, for it. Okay. <laughs> uh, so can I? I'll just read it. Did you notice the footnote at three eleven though? Um, the end note. The, the, three eleven has grassroots. The, the, have you know that? That's three eleven. The band. You're really bringing out the nineties here. <laughs> okay, but the the word love there is actually eros. 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 Which which the footnote says something like it is a more intense to Gregory. It's a more intense form of agape. Yeah. Uh, man, this is like pseudo Dionysius. Yeah. You are just yeah. a thief, man. You're stealing yeah. Saul from Nyssa. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so two two thirty one. Yeah. Uh, such an experience seems to me to belong to the soul which loves what is beautiful. Mm. That that's that's sort of like erotic towards the beautiful. Right. Right. This right. is this is for all you uh, Platonists out there. <laughs> for all you erotic people out there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, hope, and this is this is interesting. Hope always draws the soul. From the beauty which is seen to what is beyond, mm-hmm. Plotinus. Yeah, yeah. Always kindles the desire for the hidden through what is constantly perceived. Mm-hmm. So this is this is the the necessity of hope. This is why hope is so essential to the Christian life. It's that it's what makes the the pursuit of the ineffable not a misery. Oh shoot, there's still more to go. Right. But no, this is actually. Uh, sort of pushing you beyond beauty, right? right. It's, it's the hope of, of what lies beyond right. beauty, and, and a recognition in in, in the in um, the human nature that I was born for this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, therefore, the ardent lover of beauty, although receiving what is always visible as an image of what he desires, yet longs to be filled with the very stamp of the archetype. Yeah. So, so I mean, you can just see like he he longs to be not just seeing the images of the form but the form itself yeah right um c.s lewis has this beautiful line in his uh weight of glory um where he says uh when we see a beautiful sunset there's something within us that doesn't just want to linger in seeing it but wants to enter into it yeah and I think that that's a good explanation of what beauty is. Yeah. It's this recognition that there's something that, that, that I have a desire for the hidden through what is, what is perceived. Yeah. And in Plato's Symposium, I mean, it's, it's all about erotic love, so it gets a little PG-13, if not a little beyond. <laughs> but, but he says the desire for beauty is the desire to actually unite yourself uh-huh. with the beautiful, which is sort of the basis of uh, sexuality. It's, yes. It's the desire to enter into the beautiful for the sake of union right right and, and so so it's it's sort of a as i said in class it's a pagan theology of the body yeah this which is why which is why nuptiality is in in a real sense uh one of the most beautiful in a, in a non sort of like generic way of saying yeah, it. yeah. beautiful in, in in a transcendental platinian kind of sense beautiful in a way that uh, because because nuptiality in some real way images being itself almost better than anything else maybe yeah. better than anything yeah. else yeah. Right? Um, but 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 we we have this desire I mean we e- even in the midst of marriage you don't just desire your spouse you you in a sense desire to to like melt into the person yeah. and become yeah. one with the person yeah. right I mean yeah. and and this is. In a sense, it's 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 what's it's the beyond that's perceived in sexuality itself. This is the the myth of um, um, 
quotes in Plato's Symposium. Benedict quotes it, the myth oh, of... The, um, the myth of creation and the splitting. Um, who, who wrote The Frogs? Um, I can't believe I'm forgetting the guy's name. I don't know. Um, <laughs> the, the clouds. Aristophanes. I was about to say that. Okay, okay. Aristophanes' myth of the, the man being split into two, yeah. and he desires to be brought back to his missing half. Yeah. So much so that all he wants is to be sewn back together into a unity. Right? Yeah. That's, that's, what, that's what love of the beautiful... It's funny, Desires, though, yeah. because I think someone who's never read Plato or Ratzinger or Nyssa or Plotinus or any of these dudes yeah. would recognize this exact desire. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, it's not that uh, – I mean uh, insofar as we've overcome the distortion to, to grasp and, and eat for ourselves, uh-huh, uh-huh. but instead to be, to be for the other for the sake of unity, right? Yeah. I think we've, we all recognize yeah, this, yeah, right? yeah. which is just fabulous, right? Uh, mm. But that being said – we should take it out of here. Okay, let's, let's, let's take, let's, as we as we ascend, Mr. Ford Jackie. As we ascend, we descend. <laughs>